Welcome into another episode of Patrick Jones Baseball. Hope everyone is doing well. It's starting to get pretty cold, at least where I am in Cincinnati, Ohio. Um, but been a ton of fun working with a lot of players lately and just been connecting with a lot of coaches. Just got back from the NFCA convention in San Antonio, which was, was really cool. It was my very first time attending. Met some great coaches. It was, it was awesome to catch up with some other friends that, that I've been able to make in the coaching industry. And on this episode, we have someone who I, uh, I, I knew beforehand but was able to connect with at the convention, Aaron Clopton. Aaron is, is currently an assistant softball coach at Indiana University. Um, he's, he's been in softball for over 20 years, and he gets into that in this episode. But he, he's also done some stuff outside of softball, which makes him so interesting. I think he's, he's served in our military. He's been a professor. He's done some stuff in real estate. So he's a really interesting guy, and uh, I was really happy that we got to have him on the podcast cause he, because he is, he's very smart and interesting. Um, something else I do want to, to let everyone know, one of the things that, that I have been doing for the last several years and just really ha- I haven't made it public is I've been working with, with a lot of players, baseball and softball, on the recruiting side. And just because I see so many families do waste so much time and money going to so many different tournaments and, and camps and this and that that aren't actually a good fit for them. So I'm, I'm deciding to, to open it up to more people. So if you're interested in getting help on the college recruiting side, please make sure to send me an email, jonesbaseballtraining at gmail.com. Um, again, it's something that I've, I've been doing for several years now, but I haven't made it as public or put it out there as much as I'm going to going forward just because I think it's it's needed with with people running around and, and doing travel teams and going all over the country when it's just it's not necessary and um, and so it's it's something that I've I've been doing for a while it's worked I've had a lot of success with it and so if you're interested jonesbaseballtraining at gmail.com for college recruiting help. Ladies and gentlemen, here is now my episode with Aaron Clopton. All right, Aaron, we are now recording live on the show. I appreciate you coming on today, man. Well, it's an honor to be here. Um, you know, I, I, I spend all day talking about baseball and softball anyway, so might as well do it. Do it with you here, right? Right, and he, now thousands of people can listen in on on you know your own thoughts on the game. But I was reading up on you, man, and I tell you what, this is one of the reasons that I love doing this podcast because I'll get into, I'll start, I'll do a deep dive into each guest and and their own background. So I'll know some stuff ahead of time before I invite them on the podcast, but I won't, I won't know everything until I I do some research. And I feel like just doing research on you, it seems as if you've had about ten lives yeah. in your own life. Is that accurate? Yeah, it's funny. I spent. I I feel like I spend day to day struggling to 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 accomplish something, and then I look back and I think, you know what? I've I've done some things. I've in some in some regards, I feel like I've forced gum to myself um, through through life to some extent. Uh, been super fortunate, um, and of all the things I've done, probably. Um, you you get so set on trying to accomplish things. Um, one thing I overlooked probably was how many lives um, I would get to touch or be touched by, and and that's what um, certainly probably illustrates me most is how many people I've been so fortunate to be uh, come in contact with. So I'm I'm curious what 
take me through just a little bit of, of your journey. I, I usually don't actually ask guests this, but I, for you, it's an exception because I'm, I'm just curious. Like when you got done in college, what, what how did you get to where you're at now? Did you envision you were going to be just a softball coach right out of college or what was the, what was the vision you had for yourself? Yeah, that's funny. Um, what I really wanted to go was into comedy writing and that didn't oh. get out. Um, I didn't know how that would work out, but no, um, what Did you ever try that off the books when I, when I first got to, to college, that's really what I really want to do. If not, my fallback was to be uh, either a broadcaster or a coach. I loved coaching. Um, my, my earliest days, um, even in Little League, I wanted to be a pitching coach. And ironically enough, many years later, I would, I would become that um, in, in a context that I would have never dreamt um, would happen. But uh, I loved coaching. Uh, for the longest time, I wanted to be Roy Williams, who was at Kansas at the time, right, and had retired from Carolina recently. Uh, still um, a, a huge fan of all that he did and, did and stood for. Um, so coaching was always at the, the, the forefront of, of my thought. Uh, went to school at University of Kansas, and by my second year, I tell people by accident, and I fell with with softball, but I, but I did. I there was a um, an advertisement for ten dollars an hour um, field work, and I thought, I mean, ten dollars an hour at the time was that's a good idea. <laughs> that was easy cash. It was awesome, and so I go there, and um, as as would become probably the norm for most of the things I've done in my life. I remember asking them, is there, is there anything else that the, you have open? Is there anything else that I could be could help out with? And that kind of opened the door to uh, maybe the next 20 years of my life. Um, yeah, it, 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 I, I got to help out um, in, in, in a quasi-manager role. I worked into what became what is now known as like a student manager and then a, a graduate manager and um, timing being everything. Um, had, there was a coaching position opened up and um, I, I, looking back, I think I had earned some of the respect, at least enough of a coach to get um, to um, to make their radar. And um, and there I was um, coaching. Uh, I was a pitching coach for the University of Kansas and um, right out of right out of college. And, and that was that kind of put everything else in motion for the rest of my life at that point. What would you give your what advice would you give yourself if you could go back to that first year of yourself coaching? Like, is there what is there a certain thing that you did that you're like, man, I can't believe I did that? And I, if I could give this advice to any young coach, I would I would do it in a heartbeat. You know what? I, you know, the cool thing about time is that um, it maybe only the important stuff arises, which means. I, I know I made a ton of mistakes. I did, um, but I don't think about them too often, frankly. What I do remember, and I, I would say that I was, I was pretty good at this, which is to never, um, to never lean over my skis too far. I remember when, you know, I was coaching at 21. And so there were girls that frankly, um, I was hanging out with, um, you know, the year before, and then I was all of a sudden I was coaching, which is not too uncommon from a lot of people today. And that's not even a, a sports specific thing. But um, I remember going in with the attitude of I'm, I'm not demanding respect, but I will ask to for the opportunity to earn respect. And um, I never, I never let that thought escape me uh, in any day. And, and to this, to that extent, I think that's still out there that. Um, Usually, the people that demand respect are the ones that you you kind of loathe. 
to give it to. And so I, I, I attack every day with just trying to earn somebody's respect that day. And, and that has probably shaped me, shaped me pretty well. Without a doubt, uh, I would recommend that to anybody their first year. Just, just ask for the opportunity to earn respect like and then work, work hard to get it. I like that. So after that, I know. I mean, you've, like I said, you've, you've done a lot of things. So, I mean, yeah. you've, you've served for our country, which I appreciate that. Thank you. That's incredible. And you're a professor. You've got like nine degrees. I mean, yeah. <laughs> what, what happened after that? So you were coaching at, at Kansas. You were pitching coach, yeah. 21 years old. What, yeah. what, what happened the, the years to follow? Right. Uh, man, we had, and we had some good years. Uh, it was great. But I had said um, – I, I wanted to be a coach and then, um, you know, I, I met, met someone, you know, a girl, right. That turns, turns anything else. And that girl became my wife. And that was now, uh, what, 22, 23 years later. Um, I remember saying, all right, no, I wanted to do the family thing. So, you know, the family thing and the coaching thing ne necessarily, um, go down the same path. Um, but this came open and the coaching opportunity came open. I thought, I, I can't say no, but I'll just do it until um, we start having a family, which was, was my intent. And ultimately that, that, that became the case. Um, I coached there for my first three years. And then we, uh, my oldest daughter was, um, uh, you know, we became pregnant with my oldest daughter and then she was not that far away. And that's when I decided to, um, I was gonna hang it up um, this is another motif, me leaving coaching and then coaching, pulling me back, pulling me back in. Uh, that's a common, common, um, occurrence. Um, and so then I step out, but probably another occurrence is, um, struggling with finding an identity outside of coaching, um, leaving coaching and, and for those, all those people who talk about, I, I didn't know what else, I didn't know what else I wanted to do. You see, you hear athletes re retiring and struggling with finding something else. I, that was definitely with me with coaching. Um, probably never found anything outside of, 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 uh, of that, that filled that bucket like, like coaching did. Um, and so I did the natural thing, which is um, go back to graduate school. And I would always wanted to get a PhD. I thought, well, this would be the perfect time. I literally have no aim for applying it, but I'd like to get it. So I, I did that. And then, um, you know, it kind of opened my eyes to the academic academic side of things. And then I, so I pursued an academic career then at that point. Yeah. I mean, and how long did that, did that go for before you ended up actually getting back into coaching again? A, a few months. <laughs> I thought you were going to say like five years. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, that took me to Marshall University, uh, a place that I'm not sure I had heard of. Maybe I, maybe I, I knew Randy Moss and Chad Pennington came from there, right. but I didn't. I don't think I knew it was in West Virginia, frankly. Um, but either way, I went out there academically. That was my only spot when I when I got my PhD. Uh, applied for some jobs, and that ultimately was the only offer I got coming out. Um, and so I took it, and a few months into it. I say a few, uh, probably a couple. Um, uh, Shauna Stanton, uh, probably another recurring motif in my life, um, had had set up an amazing um, program that was there, and they had went from the MAC into the CUSA, and um, highly successful. I didn't know a ton about them though. They had had a pitching coach leave mid-year, 
um, a really tough time to hire a good pitching coach. And um, I think I accident. I think I stopped by the office just to say hi accidentally on the way home one time. I'm not even sure how that originally happened. Um, and and then at some point, Sean and I were talking about a opening that had come up, and then and now I'm coaching again, uh, and I'm coaching again while um, conducting trying to be a a professor during the day. Um, it was it was an incredible couple of years, frankly, in my life. Um, I was wearing multiple hats, living multiple full time positions, both at home and then in the classroom and then on the softball field and. Um, Marshall was amazing. It was amazing couple of years that definitely altered the trajectory of my life for sure. So I think that was, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, that, that 2008, right around 2008, I believe you were at Marshall. Now, 2000, almost 23, you're pitching, you know, you're now you're still working with pitchers under yeah. Shonda, what, at, who's the head coach at, at Indiana. And uh, just side note, I mean, she has so much energy just listening to her and watching her at the NFCA. Yeah. Uh, that was incredible. But I mean, she, uh, I, I only, I met her. She, I'm sure she probably didn't even re- really remember me, but Joan, she will, she will. Uh, yeah. She, uh, yeah. Sean, uh, I, I, I would, I say this, I put her in the category of one of the highest compliments I give winners like her, mm-hmm. which is she's not normal. Mm-hmm. She's, she's, they're not normal. Um, uh, I've been around a few not normal people and they, they do amazing things. They change a lot of lives. And, and she's definitely one of them. What you see with her is, is uh, authentic for sure. And, and authentic 24 seven, pretty amazing. What are, what are some of the things that are different now from a, a pitching development standpoint in 2023, let's just say we're almost 2023 versus back in 2008 when you were at Marshall? Oh yeah. Uh, science finally, um, for one, uh, metrics we have access to, to metrics, which is, which is huge. Um, and, and I say this for a lot, like there's a double-edged sword um, to all of that. There's no question. And I, I think some individuals, maybe, maybe it's like when you're learning algebra and then calculus and, and even uh, some high level regression analyses and stats, right. That we have software to do all that. But to learn it, you've got to be able to learn it to do with pen and pencil and a calculator and to do it in long form and to spend, you know, fill up an entire chalkboard on one problem. You got to be able to do that before you can plug those in. And I, I do think we have some coaches coming out that can just kind of plug and chug and they see these numbers and they've um, seen them on Twitter or a YouTube video, which honestly has amazing information, but they see it and then they kind of get they get beholden to these numbers and they don't fully understand uh, the framework under which they, they get these. And I, I do think that's an issue. That's, that's an issue with some younger coaches. Um, but a lot of today is driven certainly by, by more metrics and um, for the whole, I, I, I do, I do love that part. Well, I think that that gives somebody like yourself an advantage who was around before those metrics. And so you had to, you had to learn it with, without the help of, of technology and analytics and numbers. And so now if, you know, with you having a growth mindset, plus having that experience, now you can combine, you know, everything that you learned before you had it. And just all these numbers and technology is basically your assistant instead of your its assistant with a lot of younger coaches. That's a great point. Like to, to you know, to be holding to these numbers and working for these numbers, as opposed to the num- numbers uh, working for you. And, and you're right. I think that probably 
um, highlights that more than, than anything else. Are there certain things that you see? And I know we'll, we'll eventually talk about, you know, some recruiting stuff because you're the perfect person to talk to since you have, you know, two daughters who both play softball. But do you see from a, a development standpoint, high school kids, even younger, some of the, some things that you see that they're not doing that they need to be doing if they want to pitch at the college level? Maybe that's a generic yeah. question. But... No, 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 no. I'm just processing through some of it. Um, you know, it's a great question. Athleticism is the first thing I go to. Um, and I don't necessarily, I'm not going to sit here and say multi-sport, multi-sport, even though that's awesome and that's ideal. I, 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 I'm slow to, to, to throw that out there just because I feel like there's a lot of hypocrisy with a lot of camps in pushing for our, our words, say multi-sport athletes, but our actions don't necessarily do that. So I'm not going to hold that um, to, to parents and club coaches and, and college coaches. I am going to say, though, that we have, we've got to do more in terms of pushing athleticism and getting our athletes. Um, and most of my time has always been, it, you know, the last few years, is I, I've, I've kind of segued into my hitting position. I love hitting. Um, but the first, as you've mentioned, the first part of my career was all about pitching. Um, either way, so both of those being my main perspectives, it, the, the one thing we're all trying to do then is increase athleticism within those motions. Um, and now we, we call it movement, right? Really focused on the movement aspect of things. But doing something to, to, to push and to increase and to heighten athleticism and the use of athleticism within those motions, a high school student would really, I say a high school student, certainly 12 and under 14 would be ideal. But yeah, you could do it 16 and 18 under and, and um, being able to spend all your time moving and sprinting and exploding and then being able to take that into the motion itself, but also like allowing yourself to do that. Um, we are really, really not great as young instructors um, to, to develop a, a, a license to go crazy for these, these athletes, a, a license to live, live in a green light, if you will. Um, and, and that could be for multiple reasons, but it's one of the biggest hurdles eventually um, from capping uh, as a student athlete and, and not developing a strong enough of a green light to go um, push their athleticism, athleticism into the motion. So just uh, basically over cueing them at a young age. I, I think so. And honestly, I get it. Like it's, it's easier, right? It's um, you, I always say like a, a lot of those, the vast majority of coaches, even still today, um, they coach what they see. And that's that's the easy thing to do. Um, you do it as a as a parent or as a as a leader, as a as a sergeant of of a platoon. You um, you you manage what you see. And the truth is, um, what you see is usually on a second or third order effect, right? There's usually something that underlies that. That's what you need to attack. And most of us struggle to be able to to get into that. So it, it, I, we we say this like coaches are trying to. Parents have been trying to parent or teenagers for however many hundreds of years, right? And not understanding that generation before them, what they're talking about. They don't, they're trying to fix behavior, but you're, you, what you really want to do is fix the cause of that behavior. Um, that's for, on a macro level, all the way down to trying to get my kid to attack a low inside pitch and why they're not able to do that. What, let's, yeah, let's talk about parents a little bit. You, you've coached in college, you've been in the private sector, you have two daughters, both play at a high level, one of your daughters is currently playing D1 softball. So 
you get it from literally every every single you know part of it we were i mean we had a conversation at the convention with a couple other coaches and i was just listening to you to you talk to them what are some of the the things that parents need to maybe stop doing or start doing to to help their daughter achieve what whatever they want to achieve um right well let me clarify a few things like when you say i get it from a different angle like i've seen some stuff that doesn't mean i get it right like um haven't solved anything um and the parent thing is really difficult in in terms of like my most rational side my most educated experienced side can sometimes go by the wayside when it comes to my kid and i i recognize that that is the case with every parent that's out there. And I feel like I do a decent job of mitigating that. Um, but I also understand like, it's, it's tough. Um, it's tough. And um, as a parent, being able to keep a rational perspective on the growth and development and trajectory of their kid, uh, it, it can be hard. It can be hard to maintain. It certainly be hard to maintain. Um, that being said, I would love for parents to realize just how much power they have and they need to exercise that power, um, that they need to um, continue to play a huge role um, and, and and not just necessarily driving them to practice and writing the check, even though that, that's an extremely important part of that experience, um, but to ask questions. And, and maybe that's just it, to not pursue any sort of their own agenda, but to be the ultimately ultimate supporter um, and, and I don't mean like cheerleader. I don't mean like saying nice things or positive things all the time, but always being there um, and sometimes pushing, sometimes pulling, but to never lose sight of the fact that that role is um, is priceless. Um, we have a lot of we'll have a lot of roles that are going to be necessary for a kid to go from 10 and under to 12 to 14, all the way up to Division One to beyond, you know, wherever he or she wants to pursue. Um, but that parent role may still be number one at the end of the day and um, cannot parents cannot abdicate that responsibility. Yeah, you bring up some great points there. I think I mean, I don't have any kids myself, but I am, you know, a son. And so I remember growing up, the only thing that I mean, honestly, looking back that I wanted to do, I just wanted to make my parents proud at the end yeah. of the day. Like if I, if I if I played a game and I felt like my parents were proud of me, just I feel really good. You know what I mean? Like, and I think at the at the end of the day, I think that's what most kids want. They just want their parents to be proud of them. And I know that sounds simple, but it's just corny or cliche. It is, yeah. it is, but it's it the truth. Like- at least that's how I felt as yeah. a son. And so I think that's probably the case for other kids too. Uh, you mentioned something earlier about how how you sometimes you know you don't you sometimes catch yourself because it is your own daughter, and mm-hmm. and that brings me. Uh, to a point where my my stepdad, for example, is in a nursing home now. And so there is a few few different times where, you know, the, the nurse would come in and, and she would start saying something that's that's been going on and he'd be right there. And I would and I would jump in to try to defend him right away. And so and I caught myself and it made me realize it's that's the exact same thing that a lot of parents do with their kids. And it's out of love. But I, I had to oh, yeah. test myself, and then the next time that happened, I made I had to make sure to to not do anything. But so it's it's a little different, but it's the same too, same thing too. Where it's I I think it's just something out of love, where you just you want to protect your loved one and jump in, even though 
you don't, it's not necessarily always your job, if that makes sense. No, it, it absolutely does. Um, and, and some of it gets into, not that I'm a huge Freudian, um, you know, psychotherapy guy, but I also think there is some there in terms of what drives us. There's the, um, I forget the name of it, but, you know, they talk about doing like the five whys and they'll ask you, you know, what you're trying to do. And then you'll do it five different times. Why are you doing that? And then why are you doing that? And by the time you get to the fifth one, if you're not close to tears, if you're not frankly talking about why, you know, trying to fill a hole that started when you were three or four or five or connecting with your parents in a deeper way than you thought was possible. Um, if you're not, if you're not connected like that, you're, you're, you're somewhat inhuman or robotic or maybe somewhat I quasi admire, but um, most of us are, have those holes that go back and it's only five why questions away. Um, and I think a lot of that, if we really look back, wh why are we so worried about where our kids are going or how they're doing or what's happening or our parents towards the end? Um, there's some sort of, maybe there's some self-preservation in terms of legacy. I, I think they would, some, you know, a psychologist would probably tell us some of that, but a lot of it is, um, because we, you know, we do have some identity wrapped up with them, and I think identity is a huge part. It, it was, the, it was the basis of most of my research agenda. I, I see it every day you know, in how we live that we're all driven by uh, some level of, of social identity, and because of that, we don't make certain disconnect. Um, it, what would it, and what would otherwise be a very healthy thing, we don't make that disconnection. Because of that, then rationality sometimes can get tossed away and because of that then behaviors um follow yeah. aaron if if i went and watched you watched one of your daughter's games what would what would what would i see <laughs> to be honest with you you wouldn't you wouldn't see me um there's not just because i'm not just a parent of a kid um i'm a pitcher's parent and my guess is the only worst worst position to be in is a kicker's parent and for right for a combination of what 40 seconds out of the game your life is rough um same way with with pitching um and and you know i i my daughters have done a lot of really amazing things and um i, I think back to when, you know, when the first came one came through and um did some stuff that admittedly i i would have never dreamt. Uh, I mean, I, I guess I, I suppose I would. I remember telling her when she was maybe four or five before, well, before she even started the game. I remember telling her like, "You're you're going to have enough talent to do whatever you want in this game," and I really believed that. I could tell. You know, unfortunately, it, it takes more than just talent, but um, talent-wise, it was just fine. Um, so it, it shouldn't have been too much of a surprise. But even at the highest of highs, I can't say I enjoyed it. And and. And, and I don't see that maybe as a bad thing either, because I'm, I'm being a process guy. I, all I've ever wanted is the process and the workouts, I, I, the bullpens, the cages. That's what I, that's, that's my time. That, that's what I love. When it comes down to all the external stuff, um, it's not great. But I also identify with a lot of pitchers' parents. And you, you go to, a, especially softball, you go to a softball game, really fast you're going to find out who pitchers parents are and they're the ones walking the perimeter or or they're out in the they're somewhere else in a parking lot or because it's hard it can be hard and and it shouldn't be but it is my wife's much better than i um but your wife's a former pitcher too she's a former pitcher right so she's been there um 
but it's it's just it's tough. It's tough. I can't imagine being a kicker's parent though. Like that's that's rough. That's that kind of rough. What what do you prefer more, hitting or pitching? Oh man. Uh, you know what? In an easier question, I'll tell you what I prefer for my kids. How's that? I'll, okay. okay. I'll rank them. No, I'm not going to rank my kids. Um, yeah, no, I, I certainly find like, I definitely am a hitting instructor and a hitting coach with a, a, a pitcher mentality, if you will. Uh, Cause I'm, I'm a, I'm a huge attack guy and, and, and I probably was never a full pitching pitching guy. I was a probably a somewhat of a hitting mentality of in the circle in terms of how we attack and um, much like when I was a professor, I was probably more of a coach in the classroom than anything else. I was just never fully. I was always me, I suppose, um, and that's probably helped me and not helped me some at some points. But um, this is probably a long way of trying to avoid the question of which one do I prefer, pitching or hitting. Um, I. I love competing. I love competing. And whether it's a, a ball in your hand or a stick in your hand, um, just, I don't care. Just give me whatever side I'm on. And then we're going to go make your life really rough. And that's, that's, that's what I wake up thinking about. And that's what I go to bed thinking about. Love that. I was, uh, I don't know if you were still around. You might've, you might've left this point, but I, I went and I watched uh, Morgan, I hope her, Morgan Zirkle. Uh, yeah, sure. I was I was in the back. Yeah. I was okay, there. you're in the back. So I, I watched her presentation on. Uh, she did a lot, a lot of really good content. It was a great presentation on on slapping. Yeah. And I I wanted to hear your thoughts on on slapping. Should that be something that that coaches should be teaching players at a young age to so they don't have to try to learn it when they're older? Like, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that the triple threat position is is it's what makes hitting on the left side more fun than almost anything else in most of sports frankly if you're not trying to do your best at developing that to whatever extent that hitter can do um you're missing an opportunity now there are going to be some kids at some point it's much like if i have some kid who's in the 95th percentile of height and weight as a 12 year old in football He's probably going to be on the line somewhere, but the truth is, he, you know, until the game forces him to be uh, a left tackle, let's let's have him run the ball a little bit. Let's have him throw. Let's have him maybe not run patterns, but let's definitely have him do all this stuff until the game says otherwise. And so some kids will not have the foot speed or the explosiveness to be able to do all three in terms of triple threat. But don't. I think we cut them off too early, much like when you look at the history of, of, of basketball and the European game was so far ahead of forcing every position to play every position, right? So when Dirk Nowitzki comes over and he's been doing point guard stuff, he's been passing and and and, um, and running the floor and, and seeing the floor, much different than our typical uh, back to the basket type center, right? Um, the same way with the triple threat, that there is room in everyone's game early on. But the problem is you really gotta, you've really got to, uh, understand it and to be able to teach it um you know too many times we have some coaches who think they get it and then are all short game or all bunt or slap you know soft slap um and 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 others who maybe are all only one other aspect maybe just hitting or power slap but the truth is to understand it all it takes a lot of teaching but when you can get that as a as a lefty and the defense literally doesn't know how to play you 
you've got, I mean, you've got everything you want, right? You, you teach that? I don't necessarily, no, I don't necessarily teach. I, and to some extent, I don't have to. When I'm here, um, Gabby Jenkins, our volunteer assistant, who was an amazing player here at, at IU, um, does a lot of that as well. Of course, Coach Stanton has, um, you know, has a grasp of that side of the ball, uh, maybe better than anybody else in the game today. Um, and obviously, uh, Morgan Zorkel was, you know, that was her coach at, at Marshall. Mm -hmm. um, and so what, you know, they spend most of the time when it, when it comes to, uh, into, to slapping. So yeah, at that point, I, I become a student and I, I listen to and, and, and ask questions and kind of fall in line with what they're doing. But there's no question that if it's not in your lineup, it doesn't, it's not, it'll never be the biggest part, but, um, you know, there's a room in, in most lineups for, for that approach. There was, I was talking to somebody after her presentation who, uh, he was there. He's, he, he works. I'm not going to say that the name of the MLB organization, just out of respect to him, but, uh, he was, he was there cause he, he wanted to see if potentially it could, it could transition and work in baseball similar to an Ichiro type. I, I never, I mean, I, I understood why Ichiro didn't take, like why there weren't more Ichiros and I'm afraid it's so much, it's like, um, you know, Rick Barry in the NBA, right. Yeah. Um, you know, he led the, the NBA and free throw shooting those years, and he would throw it underhand, right, or granny style. Unfortunately, as we, we you know, we use labels as in, in a negative way in America, um, this granny style shot, but he could tell, like, it percentage wise, like, that is your most, your highest probable way of being able to hit these free throws. But there was such a negative connotation that went with that. He worked with Wilt Chamberlain, and he got Wilt, you know, Wilt's, some of Wilt's um, free throw years were, were abysmal, Shaq-like almost in, in some ways. Um, but he was able to fix that, but got, it's Wilt along with others who knew better in terms of um, they could use this approach, they decided not to because they just couldn't overcome it. And I'm afraid that to some extent, Ichiro's approach might fall in that category as well. Like we have some talented athletes on the baseball side that frankly could do some triple threading. I mean, you have a bigger infield, right? It, you can't tell me you can't put a soft slap down the line um, anywhere in the grass and, and get on first. And then they start coming in and then you power slap it into the gap. And then if they want to do all that, then you can hit away. You can do all three based upon the, the, the matchup. Um, but I'm afraid culturally speaking, we don't, we struggle overcoming some of that. So it's a, it's an ego thing. I'm afraid it's an ego thing. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I have to admit when he first told me that my first reaction and I felt like uh, one of those I'm not going to tell anybody. I won't tell anybody. Yeah. <laughs> my right? first reaction was that's never going to work. And then yeah. on the flight home, I was just thinking about it more and more and more. It's like, man, that's just, that's, it is interesting. The whole each row thing. I've never, I've never really thought of it before. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think that's why, why my initial reaction was, oh, that's never going to work. In now, granted, so, Ichiro's an outlier, and he's a super talent. Sure. But we have other guys that we could develop, too. Sure. Um, well, I mean, you got guys, for example, in the minor leagues who will never make it to the major leagues. And so why not? Why not? Why absolutely. wouldn't you give it a shot? I mean, I think, I don't know. That's just that's something that I thought was interesting. I've been thinking a lot more about it and wanted to ask you about it. I think the mobile quarterback would be another example of – um, why it, from one reason why it took so long is that we have a way of doing things yeah. in sport. Um, we have a, a status quo. We have these, um, 
default parameters that we resort to. Uh, unfortunately, there's, you know, there's some pretty serious demographics that sometimes get tied up into that, right? So that's a limiter of some things, but when the NFL's um, mobile quarterback and how it's shifted over time has been one example of that. So I don't know, maybe slapping in baseball might be the last, uh, no, the granny shot in NBA will be the last thing. Yeah, that's the granny shot. But after that, Major League Baseball and slapping might be the... I'm a little disappointed. I mean, I get taking away the shift, but that would have been perfect for guys when the shift was on to be able to implement that and just increase their OPS like crazy. But I guess we'll never see that. Well, I love the fact that it just it it, it forces you to just be better, yeah. right? Just be better hitter or be better defender. What um, I I feel like one thing I can do is I see all these things like the long pants in baseball. Not a huge fan. But then I go back and I tell myself, if we had started that way, would I have an issue with it? If I had only known that, would I have an issue? No, I don't, I don't care. If uh, much I can in, in basketball, we can we can zone, we can man to man, we can pick up, we can have a half court trap, a full court. It, it's all in there. Why not shift in baseball? Why, why not move it around? Like if we had done that from the beginning, would we have such an issue? Mm. I doubt it. Right. It's like anything else. Like you know, I hate these these uh, basketball defenses that just put one foot in the lane and force the the team to hit these shots. Well, I usually hate it because my team is not hitting outside shots right? and they're able to get away with it. So uh, ultimately that's the beauty of sport in all these sports is that all you're doing is just forcing the team to, to be better what you're making them do. I'll tell you what, softball coaches have it figured out more than baseball coaches when it comes to what they wear on a game day. Oh my I remember when I was coaching for the Orioles, I'm putting on pants, putting on a uniform. I'm, I'm thinking to myself, this is the stupidest thing in the world. I'm not playing. Why am I putting on <laughs> Well, hey, and Patrick, why though? We, you're doing it because we've always yep. we've always done that way. Yeah, right. Although, I shouldn't say we haven't always done it. John McGraw and I think early managers were wearing suits and, and – those thick, <laughs> those thick looking uh, uh, flannel uh, sport coats. And now that looked rough. Um, yeah, it, it, it's just like with uh, college basketball coaches today. I, every game, I tell my wife, like, these guys look so much happier dressing in this comfortable clothing. They look so much different. Um, yeah, well, uh, overcoming a lot of that is a, you know, it, it's it's yet another metaphor for all the things in our game that we've done because we've always done them, not because they have practicality or any purpose. 100%. I assume at one point there was, there was more manager bait players like a Pete Rose or, or somebody early on and they needed to maybe step in and, and that became a natural extension. But and what, what, when you're out, I, I got a question. I want to talk. I want to pick your brain a little bit on the recruiting side. I've been on Facebook. I've been on some Facebook groups lately. I've been getting crushed and destroyed in these, some of these Facebook groups by some of these old people. What, what are your – when you go out and watch games, uh, you know, are you just – are you picking out like a couple of players that you're going to go watch and see? Are you just picking out a team? And then once you get there, what specifically are, are, you, are you looking for? Is it, the, is it the, the eye test, first of all? Yeah, like you could start with the eye test and, and work down from there, frankly. If that was your main approach, um, it, it, w it wouldn't be bad. I think for me and for a lot of us, we start where the pitchers are, right? And so uh, you, you, if you just use that and then go where it takes you, you're probably pretty good there. So uh, frankly, we go where 
where the where stud pitchers are um and then you have you have teams that you follow um teams that you trust coaches that you trust the people that they're bringing on uh you start there and then and then all of that is a starting point and then you go from from there from what you see um the way kids run i've said where where did we see this early at another tournament uh, someone was talking about um oh it was like at a combine and they put their team and their program and another program through a bunch of it was like a showcase workout and they put them through all these um defensive things and i i think they could have probably boiled that down to maybe three minutes and we could with a 90 percent accuracy tell you just by the way the kids play catch within the first three minutes what we're going to see from them um playing catch running and then swinging swing the bat um, and, and, and the way that they, they play in the field with range and, and, and glove dexterity, um, then that would come into play. But the truth is, if you can, if you can, the way you, the way you throw a ball and the way you run, you can, that's going to tell me a ton. Um, if you look in the uniform, it's, um, if you look the part that, that there's something to that, unfortunately as well too. So is there times when you go and watch a player and you just watch them throw, warm up, run a couple sprints and just think, yeah, this isn't it. Yes. Yeah. And you can be wrong, right? You can definitely be wrong. Um, but the, the fact of the matter is that, yeah, that, that is the thing. Um, it's also why like, we, we have to be careful. Like we make sure that you, you never cross somebody off on the first time, right? They, they have to prove that they're, they need to be crossed off. Um, you can get added easily, and um, you. Know, I, I like to think I like to think it's easier. It's easy to add a kid to the radar, um, and, and to do that at an easier, on an easier level than it, it is to cross them off because uh, you you just you can't afford to overlook anybody. So you kind of. Sometimes your initial gut reaction been wrong. Not terribly often. Yeah. Not terribly often. And it's not, you know, most of these vast successes of coaches, much like, you know, the main the big fortunes in business, it's not because they were doing something that nobody else was. It's just that they went after somebody that everybody else went after and they, they, out, they worked hard and they, they connected with the kid and, and, and uh, just recruited the heck out of them and, and won that game. So, yeah, there's no, there's no question that you can, you can, you can win some battles, you can earn you can earn some money, earn some money on um, having an eye for uh, a diamond in the rough than everybody else does. But the vast majority of it all is you're going to go after kids that most everybody else is going after. And you just, you sure, especially at a power five school like you're at yeah. right now. Yeah. 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 What do you think about some of the, the showcases, the metrics on the baseball side, they have PBR, which is huge plus perfect game. And I know, for example, if I, if I text a coach, saying, hey, you should look at this guy, the first thing they're going to do is look him up on PBR and see all their numbers and, and video and everything. Do you foresee something like that happening on the softball side? And if so, would you want that? Would it be helpful to you? Yeah, we'll take everything. Every coach would say that we'll, t- we'll take everything. And, you know, softball does have some stuff. I don't know if it's specific to softball necessarily, but recruiting services that do capture video, that do capture the most up-to-date metrics that are part of that. And there's no question that's a thing, um, but I mean we we put lit kids on a list based upon a Twitter that we saw on social media. Oh, so Twitter's and, a big one for you. It, it's a thing. It's definitely it's all a thing, right? We will 
uh, we're not going to leave any stone unturned. And so if that's out there and we come across it, definitely. Um, now, it, it, you could argue that um, it, there's a case of easy come, easy go. So the easier you get on a list, it, if you don't produce quickly, it might be just as easy to get off. Um, but the, the truth is you, you can still get on with, you know, we're like, like I said, we're, we're going to be, everyone's going to be super comprehensive in the stones that they overturn to find that next recruit. Um, so when you say get on a list, you see somebody you like, you put them on your list and then next season you're going to go watch them play at some point. Or that next, next weekend. Yeah. Right. Next weekend. Yeah. 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 Exactly right. And then if you and, like them enough, this is one of the things that I think I've learned in softball. If you like them enough, it's they, you invite them to the, your camp after after their junior year september 1st of junior year no the yeah. ncaa does allow us to invite um to, to have no official communication in terms of uh, that's tailored to them but you can send them out camp related oh, okay. information or, or questionnaires um just staying in, in touch with them but it's you can't tailor your message to them until after september 1. Okay. and that's when it really changes but yeah there is a way to to generically stay in touch with some of these athletes and if there wasn't there's always the club coach that you can go sure. through. So how many of your players went to one of Indiana's camps and that are now there? That's a good question. I couldn't answer that having not been here. Um, yeah, I know. You're certainly. Yeah. yeah. Right. I, I know, I know a few. Um, and I know that will continue to be, to be the case for sure. Uh, last thing I, I just wanted to pick your brain about is, is the development side like for example, this past fall, like fall ball is, is a big time for development. Um, what's a typical fall like at Indiana? Like this is, I know this is your first year, but like what were some of the things that people, people would, would have seen had they been there from a development standpoint? Yeah, it's, there's going to be several similarities um, across all NCAA division one programs, right? Cause you have a X number of amount of, of days you can spend as a team, right? With, and doing your 20 hours, you can get your 20 hours in um, versus the out of season type uh, individual approach. And, and then you're much more restricted on the, uh, the amount of time you can have together. And so for us, um, like a, several of us Northern schools, we do a lot of our team stuff earlier than would say if um, back if I was at LSU or Texas A&M or somewhere in the South, um, I would do that later on. I would maybe use up most of my fall to do individual to set the base and then go um, and, and then do teamwork and, and, and finish with that. The teamwork is where you see the fall scrimmages. Uh, inter, we do we do several inter squads. We can measure a lot. We can examine a lot. Um, so we probably do a few extra inter squad scrimmages than others. But we still have out of um, out of competition or you know off campus competition that exists there. So we have. Uh, local schools that come in and play, or we we took a road trip to Louisville and and played uh, played a doubleheader at Louisville, and that that ended our fall for us. Um, but the rest of the way, you know, we we spend first couple of weeks of getting every metric that you can come up with um, and put in place. Uh, some of it's a a pretest, if you will, for the fall being uh, the test, and then we'll we'll post test them um, before they leave. Some of it's to see what was retained. From uh, from the previous year, so we could, you know, a, a huge thing that that we do here is coach them where they're at, right? You've got to be able to coach them where they're at, and it's difficult to to do that if you don't have you know that baseline. So we really invest a lot of time and and resources in establishing that the first couple of weeks of of when they get here, 
and then we have a pretty organized um, daily agenda that, that we're carrying out. So it's a, it's a comprehensive development plan that these, these uh, athletes are going to get when they get here throughout the fall. And they leave here with one of the most comprehensive on-paper development plans. They, they each get a player development plan that they walk out of here that um, uh, basically um, comprises every metric that we've had from them. And it's, um, you know, it's a one, sometimes two sheets. Um, illustration of where they where they stand and what they need to do to, to get the word where they want to go so you know we blast and rap soto um, um we do a lot of k vest uh, we have all that in there we bring outside um, consult consults in to be able to help us with some of the the hitting metrics that and hitting um hitting development that we want to do so yeah it, it's it's a full scale it's a busy fall that goes by really really fast um do you think the players really understand what those metrics mean? Yeah, really good question. Not nearly as much as we want. Um, one thing that um, I think we do really well here, Coach Dan, I know put this in a, a while ago in terms of having make sure that we take advantage of classroom sessions and we're watching blast related videos we're watching on base U related videos to understand um, swing inhibitors swing um, swing sessions, um, aspects of the swing, so that when we say these words, it means something, and then even better, at some point, not just means something, but means something personally to every every, every hitter. So um, I, I think our hitters have, they're, they're growing all the time in that area. Um, we have several that are amazing at asking questions, and I love that. Uh, so they're all kind of on their own personal journey to understanding that aspect of the game. I, I'm really excited to see that uh, that pay off down the road. Do you, do you keep track of, of each player and how they learn best? Not as formally as I think I would, would like to, because you know, it's hard. Um, oh yeah. 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 I, you know, I'm a, I'm, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of a lot of the personality assessments, but I, I think the disc assessment. I guess what I meant, I didn't mean like, it's like personality. So I'll give you an example. When I, uh, when I was back with the Orioles, I would send these guys a questionnaire and it was more like just random stuff. Like if you, what, okay. what would you be doing if you weren't playing baseball? And like, for example, one of the guys said, I, I would want to be in the army. And so I, I took that. And when he started struggling, he would be tentative at the plate. I would always use like war battle analogies for him to be able to, to quickly understand it just based off of the questionnaire. Yeah. Good. Good. Yeah. We, so we certainly do informal stuff like that. Um, it, you know, there's enough non softball, non competitive related questionnaires that we give to them throughout the year. And that kind of maybe pulls the curtain back a little bit into what guides them. And, um, we've definitely have impacted that the, um, I, I feel like we do a pretty decent job of conferring after workouts, uh, us as as coaches, talking about what all's going on and, and different ways that we would go about implementing certain things with with athletes. Um, and, and I think that's become a big part of it. Again, coaching where they're at is is a huge go to, and, and that's not just physical swing, but their mentality, their where they come from culturally speaking, or whether they want army or French chef type approaches <laughs> they're, they're gonna get it i, I got one last question for you i'll give you i'll give my answer um uh, first so my, my question is going to be 
what's one thing you want to improve upon as a coach? And I'll, I'll give some, what I would want to improve upon me personally is I want to be able to, to help players faster. I usually end up being able to get to, to, to where I want to get to with them and, and find the root cause, but I want to be able to do it at a much faster rate. Um, what's something that, that you would, you want to improve upon as a coach? It, it, it might be um, magic words. Everybody has them. Um, and, and we get stuck on the mechanical part. So, you know, and, and of course we've shifted over time, you know, throwing your hands, keep your hands inside, keep your hands high. Um, not saying the word hands at all, right? Use your backside or, or drive, whatever it is. Um, understanding the perfect word for every, every hitter. And I, I do believe if it's not perfect, there's a lot of really good strong words that exist um, specifically for each athlete and then to understand that. Um, but again, that that's, you really got to see not just the swing, but the person underneath the swing. And, um, and, and that's, I think a lot of a challenge for a lot of us, but that's the, probably the first thing I would go to is, man, if I could be given a gift of everybody's magic word or two, mm. I'd feel pretty good about where I, where I could go from there. I like that. Have you ever read Nick Wiggleman's book? Yes. Um, Good, Cause right. I of course heard him on a podcast somewhere. Um, and he, and he was great. Yeah. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Aaron, I appreciate you coming on today, man. I was just, we've almost been going an hour, which is crazy. I've just been flying by, but um, it's been awesome. I appreciate you coming on. Uh, I want to come watch you guys play at some point this year, which will be a ton of fun. And uh, man, I'm glad we got to connect. Yeah, well, you, you'll definitely need to. Uh, you know, we play here in Andy Moore Field in Bloomington, and it's it, there's not a ton of better places to play college softball. We have great fans that come out and, and take a look. Um, it's an honor to be here as well. I know how many um, incredible guests that have been here. That some of this takes me back to, you know, I, I was I was probably listening to you have have to be in season one or two as you're um, as you were cranking these out, and and you know, I think back to my time being deployed. And um, there were in the moments you're in some precarious situations, um, doing some pretty surreal stuff. But you always there's always this dichotomy of an existence there. One of which being that you usually have your phone with you, right? Um, and my phone was always downloaded with podcasts. So if I had downtime in between the stuff that we we're doing, I'm checking in on stuff that's going on. And um, one thing, the things I was bound and determined to once I got back um, to get back into pursuing, getting back into coaching again. And um, Patrick Jones baseball was always whether I was always in the desert um, doing some crazy stuff. And yet Patrick Jones baseball was still coming, yeah. coming through there. So, um, yeah, you've you've been there for me. Oh, Patrick, I appreciate that. So I'm, being I'm, on I here was, is an honor. No, I but thank you more for your service. I mean, I'm just sitting sitting down interviewing smart people. So I appreciate you. Yeah, you've you had some amazing guests and I, it's, it's an incredible honor to be one of them. For sure.